Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. So as you know, we've been doing this series on the kingdom of God. It's always tricky when you've been doing a series because it feels like when do we ever going to end? Like, you know, the beginning of it just seems, we did one on Ephesians. Was it last year or the year before? And it was like, good morning, we're doing Ephesians again. Um, but this morning, we're doing the kingdom of God again. Um, for some of you, you will be like kingdom of God theologians, kingdom of God experts. And others of you have rocked up this morning and you're like, kingdom of What? But I'm going to launch just straight in. I'm going to try and hook in some of the stuff that we've done already and try and recap some stuff for those of you who maybe have missed pockets of the season or have just rocked up. And if you have rocked up, you are especially welcome. We believe that you're not here this morning by accident, that you're here for a reason. I hope you've already met with God in the worship. You may even have met with God in the notices. Um, But we believe that you will meet with God this morning. And as Elias said, there's no reason for you to leave the way that you came in. So we know that this, this theme, this, this subject of the kingdom of God was the key theme of Jesus' ministry. We talk a lot about salvation and repentance and forgiveness and healing. All of those things are clearly important to our faith. We would have no faith without them. But we know that the kingdom of God was the subject that Jesus started. He announced his ministry with. The kingdom of God is here. And after his resurrection, it was the subject he spoke most about to his followers. With all those parables and all those illustrations and the Sermon of the Mount and everything else in between. So it only makes sense for us as a church and as a people to look into this. What is this about? What does this mean? And I hope that you will engage your brains as well as your hearts this morning. And you will be asking yourself, what is it? What what difference does it make to me? What does this have to do with my life outside those doors? I think as Christians, it's quite easy to compartmentalize our lives, to divide our lives up a bit like a grapefruit. Um, I thank God quite a lot at the moment that our faith is not as visible, perhaps, as those of us who are um, Muslims and are um, praying and fasting. Um, You know, there's no escape for them. There's no refuge for them. The whole world knows that they are um, practicing fasting and praying at the moment, that it is Ramadan. And we're all very aware of that, and I think they're very um, sensitive to that and very vulnerable um, because of that. And, of course, if they're grumpy or grouchy, as I imagine I would be if I was fasting for any length of time, as they do, um, they're, again, they're, they're exposed. It's very clear who they are and what they believe in their workplaces and everywhere they go. For us, it's a little bit easier to slip below the radar. And for that reason, I think, particularly when we go into work, it's a little bit of a minefield. We want to be, uh, we want to bring our faith into the workplace, but we're not entirely sure what that looks like. And since it's very invisible to us, it's a very tricky one for us to try and wrestle. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I'm guessing for, oh, hang on, before I do that, what I want you to do is turn to one another 30 seconds and tell the person next to you what you do. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, 
One, we're back in the room. Okay, so I'm guessing for some of us, we heard what somebody else did and we might have gone, ooh, or we might have gone, ah, and we might have tried to disguise our reaction. Maybe some of us are very proud of what we do. It was very easy to say what we do and feel good about what we do. For some of us, we might have been a little bit more, but... I think we do, naturally, depending on our worldview, we put our jobs in categories. Some of our jobs are good, some of our jobs are bad. I think at one end we would say uh, lawyers, tax collectors, hmm, nurses, teachers, firefighters, yay. There you go, David loves a firefighter. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. Um, some of us might even wrestle with the fact, wrestle with our jobs, and, and we would n rather not be doing what we're doing, and we think it would be far more worthwhile and significant if we worked for the church, if we worked for some world-changing agency, then God would be interested in our jobs. Then we could really change the world. But for most of us, work is simply a means to an end. It just pays the bills, right? So it's complicated. This thing of work is complicated. Because what we do with our hands where we find ourselves most hours of the week, it does come to define our identity, and it often dictates the whole direction of our lives. It impacts our health, our relationships, and often our sense of place in the world. These are the kind of things we have to re re wrestle with, and the things where we want God to inform how we translate that into our lives, instead of being dictated by the culture around us. If we read the Bible looking for verses on work, particularly about the job that we do, or perhaps what job we should do, I think we can come to all sorts of conclusions, because I'm not sure that's the right question. For me, I've had a pretty varied career to date. I started off as a lawyer, um, but currently I run a business with my husband. Yay! Um, I've worked full-time, I've worked part-time in my pyjamas or in a power suit. I've worked for churches in a voluntary capacity and in a paid capacity. And I've wrestled with all those misconceptions about whether my job is good or bad and how that reflects on me and my self-worth. Am I worthwhile? Am I significant or not because of what I do? And what I've come to understand is that it actually matters very little to God what we do. I think what actually matters to him more is who we are in the midst of that. And it's very, very easy for us to lose sight of. In fact, Paul writes to one church and reminds them that whatever you do, work at it with your heart as if working for the Lord. Now, I thought about putting the microphone down at this point and just walking. We could go and have like, we were done now. There you go. It's all in there. Um, end of service. However, you know what? We're so, we're so driven, really, aren't we? We've got such a good Protestant work ethic that I think that this ends up sounding like an instruction. This ends up sounding like just another thing we've got to do. I need to, whatever I'm doing, I need to do it wholeheartedly and I need to do it as if for the Lord. We end up either feeling self-righteous about what we do or we end up feeling like, no, 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 there must be something more. Because I think even a statement like this needs to be rooted in something deeper. And that's why we're going to look at work through the, kingdom, through the lens of the kingdom of God. So we're going to pray right now. I'm going to ask you to stand just to shift your posture for a moment. And we're just going to pray. Um, we're just going to pray that uh, you would take off, that you would give to God your workplace this morning, your work, whatever that looks like to you. If you're not working, whatever it looks like to be wrestling with that right now. If you're retired, if you're on maternity leave or paternity leave or sick leave, whatever that means to you, Lord, we lift up these things to you. 
And as we come this morning to hear your word, to refocus on the kingdom of God, we pray that in the way that only you can, that you would send your spirit to be at work in our workplaces and in our homes and in our job searches and in our wrestling. Would you just lift off the workplace from us right now? Our misconceptions, our assumptions about work, the obstacles and the opportunities that it provides us. And we kind of, we take all of that and we put it in your hands. We sort of put it on a spiritual shelf right now. We trust it to you. We pray that you would be at work in it. And we would just give you our attention to be able to focus on your kingdom right now. Amen. So, uh, next slide. Uh, If you have a Bible, electronic or otherwise, uh, turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It's one of Jesus' disciples. So this guy, Peter, had been around Jesus uh, for all of his ministry, seen everything that Jesus had done, knew Jesus very well, and as we know, completely screwed up. And then uh, Jesus restored him, and he became a fearless and powerful preacher. He writes more towards the end of his life in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's interesting, this language, isn't it? I don't think we use this language very often about ourselves. And what's also interesting about it, if it's not speaking to us as individuals, but it's speaking to us corporately as a people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. It's rare that we actually refer to ourselves in these terms. But Peter is not using these phrases by accident. As is often when we come to something in the Bible and the language seems strange to us, we have to ask ourselves, what did it mean to the original recipients, to the original readers? And it meant a lot more to them than it does to us. Just to remind ourselves the story of the kingdom. Back at the beginning of this story, God had delivered his people from slavery. He'd rescued them to establish them as a nation who would be his special people on the earth. They would worship him alone in the midst of the paganism that was around them. And through the way that they would live, they would be a light to the nations around them, showing them another way to live. Now imagine a people who only know slavery. Unfortunately, that's not too difficult even today. If you take a country like Mauritania, As many as one in five still work in bonded labor, domestic servitude, and forced marriage. For the people of God, way back in the Old Testament, generations had grown up like those in Mauritania under that level of oppression. They understand what it means to work. Work was in exile. Work was in a foreign land, in a foreign culture. Work was productive, but it was without reward. As slaves, there was no purpose and no meaning to it. They just did as they were told. But then God delivered them from slavery. And you can read about that, of course, in Exodus. Uh, The next slide, if you want to turn to it, Exodus 19. God brought them to a land where there were no longer slaves. We love to sing that, don't we? But it's important to understand where that language comes from because it's rooted in our history, in the story of the kingdom of God. God said to the people then, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings, And I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, the whole city of London, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that God used to his people right back at the beginning of this story. He set the tone. He set the the standard. He set the direction that he was hoping, that he was intending, that he was desiring for his people to go. And Peter uses these same words maybe 2,000 years later to remind them this is, this is the starting point. This is where it all begins. That God had called them, just like you and me, out of one way of living into a whole new way of life. That he had called them to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Again, you can revisit our whole Kingdom of God series. It's fantastic. I encourage you to do that wholeheartedly. But let's just remind ourselves about this kingdom and what it looks like for us today. Because the incredible, exciting, and fascinating thing is to me that there are men and women across the world in every culture and in every workplace seeking after this kingdom and seeing it at work. It doesn't fit. It's, it, it doesn't fit in in any situation, but it fits in every situation. We've got this banner up. I'm going to be coming back to this again and again. So if your mind drifts, just check out the banner. Um, we see that, you know, God cannot be contained. He cannot be contained in an office. He cannot be contained in a school. He cannot be contained in a hospital. And yet, he is in every single one of those places because we are there, because his kingdom is at work. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It confounds us. It confuses us sometimes, and it's full of tension. It's a place where the, where the last will be first and where the lost will be found and where the least will have the highest honor. It is always active. It is always at work, this kingdom, where the rule and the reign of God is present. It is right living, right living with myself, right living with those around me, right living with my God in the truest sense of this word. And it is wholeness. It is peace. The, sh- the word shalom it is um, beyond our understanding in one sense, the wholeness that, the ki- that God brings to us that is present in his kingdom. It is healing for broken hearts. It is the growth of limbs. It is the growth of limbs. I mean, it is healing for our bodies, for our minds, for our hearts. And it is not of this world. That's what I mean by, in one sense, it can't be contained. It is not of this world. It is not bound by our understanding of lack and loss. The kingdom is rich beyond measure, but of the things that are most precious to us and cannot be measured, like love and joy and peace and hope, these are the things that are bound in the kingdom. These are the things that are freely available to you. You can be rich in peace. You can be rich in joy. You can be rich in hope, whatever your circumstances, because those are the kind of the things that the kingdom of God is measured in. So where the kingdom is, our ordinary lives become extraordinary. The hope, our hope, is one of a future without sickness, without sin, without pain, without tears. And this is within reach for us because Jesus has brought it near. And what's more, what's even more exciting is that the world is hungry for this kingdom. The world is desperate for this kingdom. They just don't know what it looks like. They don't know that this is what it is. They've only seen corruption. They've only seen judgment and heard hypocrisy. Hypocrism. I like hypocrisy better. (laughs) They've only heard a gospel that's really good at sexism and racism and exclusion. And a church that is really invisible when it comes to grace and peace and power. You know, how many people know about our job club and our healing on the streets? We do everything. We're not hiding it. But I'm just saying, the people in your workplace who might think Christianity is so last year, 
If only they knew. And we might sit there and go, well, yeah, they do know. They're just not interested. But what happens when they get a glimpse of the real thing? We saw Bishop Curry do that incredible sermon at the royal wedding. And the only people that got upset with it, as far as I could see, were a bunch of really grumpy Christians. I mean, the world went crazy for it. Seriously. I mean, everyone. David Miliband thought about becoming a believer. Peter Mandelson wanted to marry his partner off the back of it. I mean, a national newspaper headline, The Power of Love. And the significant thing for me was that that occasion, the impact that it had was at the end of a 10-day prayer campaign, particularly across this nation, called Thy Kingdom Come. And that was the last day the royal wedding took place on the last day of that, which was incredible. When the world sees what the kingdom looks like, they want it. And in this, kingdom, in this context, Peter describes us as a kingdom of priests, you and I priests of this kingdom. You might want to think about that for a moment, because for most of us, we think of priests, we either think of unspeakable things we'd rather not think about, or we think of dog collars, uh, or we think of those lovely men in dresses. I'm assuming the men are lovely, I'm thinking the dresses are also, you know, the robes and, and hats, you know, when we saw those guys at the royal wedding, and it's like, which one's the bride? <laughs> for the priests of the Bible, one of their main responsibilities was to worship God and to serve the people around them. And they did that by offering sacrifices and acting as sort of middlemen. And now for us as participants in this kingdom, we are somehow to be like priests too. We are to spend our lives in worship and in serving those around us. So Peter writes those verses that he wrote, that we read right back in the beginning, and we're going to read again now in the message version in the next slide, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 in the message. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you, from nothing to something. That's our story, some of us. From nothing to something. Some of us are still on the way. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Again, for some of us, that's our story. Because we have been rescued. That is the story of the kingdom. A rescue plan that spreads out across centuries. That spreads out into every culture. That spreads out into every country. It is a rescue plan. And we get to be rescued and we get to become the rescuers. In um, the vineyard, we call ourselves sometimes uh, uh, worshippers of God and rescuers of men and women. And think of that as our job description. It's just what we do. Because we have been rescued, we've been made holy, and now we belong to this kingdom. And our first response, what's your first response as a priest? That whatever we do with our time, however we earn our money, it is to offer our lives back to him in worship. With what we do on a Sunday morning as the overflow is that. When I'm talking about worship, I'm not talking about song. I'm not talking about clapping or tambourines. I'm talking about taking our lives and placing it on the altar. Remember, Paul writes to the church in Rome, the next slide, uh, Romans uh, 12, verse 1. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
And again, in the message, I find this so helpful to unpack it in language which is more familiar to us and um, uh, something that feels more um, tangible to us. In the message, it translates, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's worship. If, if the first thing that we do as priests is worship, we become worshippers uh, on every level, in every sphere of our life. The second thing priests did was to serve the people, to act as these kind of middlemen. Like Jesus, they bridged the gap between those who were far off and those who God was drawing near. So as a kingdom of priests, we are to stand in the gap and serve those around us. Because how else do we think God is going to reach them? In a very general sense, to reach mankind, Jesus, uh, God sent Jesus. He became human in the person of Jesus. To reach London, in a very specific sense, he's becoming flesh in you. You're it. We talk about gathering here on Sundays in order to be scattered throughout the rest of the week. We're not priests who dwell solely in this temple. We're not made holy to create distance between us and those around us. Just like the disciples, Jesus showed them what to do. He filled them with power. And then he delegated his authority to them. Just like your boss might do to you or you might do to somebody else. And then he told them to go and do everything that they'd seen him do. You're it. Um, next slide. Vineyard pastor Alan Scott has written about this at length. He has some fantastic things to say about it. He's writing a book, or he's written a book called uh, Scattered Servants, and it's going to be out later this year. And he reminds us that our work is a gift, a divine assignment. He writes, as kingdom believers, we are not called to survive the workplace, but to seek its transformation, to see our workplaces alive with beauty, alive with glory, alive with divine generosity, filled with his presence. As we develop a kingdom mindset, our workplace becomes a thin place, a place where divine presence and abundance meet us and they spill out on those around us. Isn't that what we want? Doesn't that sound like kind of easy? They're not super easy, but like way easy than we make it sometimes for this to spill out instead of our anger spilling out on those around us, instead of our frustration or impatience spilling out on those around us for the Spirit of God to spill out on those around us. Now, I bet you have a lot on your plate this week, a long list of things to do and people to speak to and deadlines to meet. And maybe there's just a little bit of you right at the back here going, yeah, I don't have time for the kingdom of God to break in. That's okay, we get you. But I just want to challenge your perception of what that could look like. Because I do think that we can spend so much time feeling guilty about this that we're not seeing amazing things happening in our workplace, that we miss what's happening right in front of us because we've seen that the kingdom of God is at work. It is relentless. It is happening all around us. God is here and he is breaking through. For some of us, of course, it might just have never crossed our minds. There may be some of you this morning and you're like, yee, God in my workplace. I'm actually quite popular there at the moment. That would be like my mom turning up to one of our staff meetings. Um, for others, um, I think the, it's the everyday things that we do at work just seem so far removed from Sunday mornings. The mundanity, the ordinariness of our lives is so, far to recon so hard to reconcile from the um, miracles that we hear about on Sundays. 
But if you take one small thing away with you this morning, um, let it be that your work matters to God. Your work matters to God. You see, the people of God were led out of literal slavery, and they were led into a freedom that they just couldn't get their heads around. But God never intended that they wouldn't work in the promised land. We may have all heard that the promised land flows with milk and honey, but it required an almighty battle just to take possession of it. And having done so, it involved building houses, farming the land, and establishing functioning cities. All of this to demonstrate to the people around them who their God was and who they worshipped. You see, God is at work in our cities, not because he likes the buildings, because he likes the people. He calls us in Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. We are not to hide away. We're not to create our own Christian ghettos where we just reach out to the poor and sort of outsource that to the people that do dog club. Who doesn't want to see the kingdom come in their industry and in every industry across the city? Who doesn't want to see our justice system truly reflecting justice? Who doesn't want to see our police force resourced and respected? Who doesn't want to see our fashion industry, Tabby? Who doesn't want to see our fashion industry reflect the beauty of every individual? Who doesn't want to see that? We want to see that. If we have this concept of the kingdom coming being like sort of just power, just taking over these things, and until they're taken over, you know, then God's kingdom hasn't come. We're missing it. I think the Lord, the Lord does a work of transformation. He does a work of renewal. We see that in us. We rarely get taken over in an instant. And we don't become autonomous. We don't become robots when God comes on us. He fills us. And, and like an instrument, he, he breathes in us. And the sound that comes out is different for every one of us. That's what it's like in your workplace. That's what it's like in our industries. God wants to fill these things. Not so we can just go, wow, that's really awesome. The power comes for the powerless. All of this is about raising up those who have nothing. You know, you look across. This is the bit that gets me cross right now. Come on. God rarely, rarely waves a magic wand. Some of you are and you will be decision makers across this city, this nation, and beyond. We believe that. It's true. He works through people just like you and just like me. You are leaders. You're leaders. You're catalysts. Some of you are entrepreneurs. Some of you are prophets in your workplace. Do you realize that? And again, we get so religious about this silly thing. We imagine that involves wearing some sort of camel hair garment and growing a beard. You know, it doesn't. Being a prophet means asking God what's happening. And speaking it out, speaking out a preferred future for the people and the place where you work. In our country right now, you know, our health system is under-resourced. Our welfare system is under-resourced. Our justice system is under-resourced. There's a book at the moment, and it's called The Law is Broken. And the law is not broken. But the people who are administering the law right now are broken. And we need people to be lawmakers who are not broken. We need people who seek, who prefer those around them, who prefer the powerless. We need you guys. It's on you. It's on me. It's us. You know, no one wants to work for a boring housing department or construction company 
but quite a few people sat through meetings where decisions were made about cladding tall buildings. Those are our decisions to make. You know, our immigration system right now is screwed. People are just following orders, right? I get that. It's not meant to be political. But you and I, you just don't know. And it's not up to you what the significance is of what you do. You're just to be faithful. We're going to talk about that. In the vineyard, we describe this, engaging with God in this way, as extending God's kingdom together, everywhere, in every way. We were made to partner with God. We were made to see what it is that he's doing and to do it all around us. So much of what we do is just about learning to see what God is doing. I mean, that's all that Jesus did. He looked to see what God was doing and he partnered with it. So first of all, as I think we're supposed to be followers. This is how we, be, this is how we uh, put our, our high calling of priesthood into practice. Next, next slide. Um, so we recognize we're followers, we're learners, we're disciples, friends of God, and we're learning how to be priests. We're learning how to put our high calling into practice. We're learning how to worship God in every season and how to serve those around us with his sacrificial love. He goes first and we follow. So ask God to show you what he's already doing and then come to church and learn how to do it. Uh, Bishop David Pitches said, the meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. We come here. This is classroom. This small group is workshop. It's not social club. We talk about church being a family, a hospital, an army, and most definitely a school. We come here to learn how to be disciples, how to be followers, how to be priests, to go out there to do it. We're going to be followers. We need to be faithful because things might not always turn out how you expect. Faithfulness describes us. Next slide. Faithfulness requires us to stick at things when they get difficult and when they seem without meaning or purpose. We want to see the fruit of our good intentions, but fruit takes a long time to grow. And fruitfulness is born out of faithfulness. Eugene Peterson describes life in Christ as a long obedience in the same direction. It doesn't have a great ring to it, does it? <laughs> if I called you forward, who would like to respond? And commit themselves to a long obedience in the same direction. <laughs> I reckon there'd be a long line out that door. However, without that long obedience, without those little steps that make up that long journey, our faith will be a mile wide and a few centimeters deep. We want to build a relationship with the Lord that will endure through every season. We want a faith that will stand the test of time. That looks like a solid friendship or a good marriage. And that takes investment. It takes time and commitment and perseverance. So we end up back at that question of what kind of person do you want to be? Because it is up to you. Jesus will give you all the help that you ask for, but it's up to you. Because what you spend your time, your energy and your money on does matter. It matters what you pay attention to and what you consume because it will shape you. It will determine the fruitfulness in your life. And that's what matters much more than your job title or where you work or what you earn. Next slide. So we want to be followers. We want to be faithful. And we need to know that we have the Lord's favor. One of the key kingdom passages and a, a passage of significant, uh, significance for this church is Isaiah 61. Many of you will be familiar with it. Jesus read it out at the beginning of his work. It was his job description, if you like. 
He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Yeah, yeah, last year was and next year might be, but this, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Since the kingdom came, every year has been the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come to bind up your broken heart. He has come to proclaim your freedom. He has come to release you from captivity so that as followers, we can pursue this priestly calling because then we can also say of these verses, spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent you to bind up the brokenhearted because the spirit of the living God is on you. He has anointed you to proclaim freedom for the captives and on you to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. What does it mean to have someone's favor? It means that someone is for us. It means they want the best for us. It means they believe the best about us. They want to see us thrive. Don't we want to see people thrive? Don't we want to see people flourish? And even if it takes hardship for us to grow in fruitfulness, people who seek our favor are in it with us every step of the way. And that is God's heart towards us. It's one of favor. Constantly and consistently one of favor. And if that's something you struggle with right now, listen to Viv's talk from the other week the one on healing, the mystery of healing. But don't think you have to wait until you're all fixed up, until you're all figured up. The impossible can happen in you and around you and through you. That's the miracle of this thing. It's not, you're it, but it's not on you. It's not, God is doing it and he's just tagging you in. Because God's favor is on all the people around you, the people you meet on the tube. His favor is towards uh, that annoying person in HR. His favor is towards the office gossip, the one who comes in a bit late, bleary-eyed, still wearing the same clothes they had on yesterday. God's favor is towards your customers, your clients, and your patients. Because his favor is towards them, yours can be towards them, but it's not all on you. He has something for them. You're just participating in that. So we're to ask him. This is the, the easiest, simplest thing that you can do. In, your, in a new place, in your workplace, as you're on the tube, wherever you're going, ask God what he's doing. Ask him to give you his heart for the people around you. And just pray. Just pray. Because you are people of influence. You know, we talk about influences these days. Everyone wants to be an influencer. And if you aren't an influencer, you better find an influencer and get an influencer and be an influencer. You are a person of influence through the power of prayer. You, have, you, you just don't know, and it's not up to you to know. It's just up to you to participate. It's just up to you to engage with what God is doing and to pray it. Pray it out. Pray it into being. Speak it out. So, I'm coming into land. Whew. Seek first the kingdom. God has rescued us, and we are priests with a high calling. This is... This, this is our foundation, no matter what it is that we do. Remember the old movies of Superman? You know, he wore his super suit under his regular clothes. He walked around because he was wearing glasses. Nobody knew he was Superman. And he takes them off. Oh, my gosh, he's Superman. Um, 
this is us. This, you know, the identity underneath, we're priests. We're worshippers. We are rescuers of men and women. We're there to serve those around us. And yeah, we put on our uniforms. We put on our work faces. But this is who we are. Don't let what you have to put on, what is going on around you, determine and dictate who you are. Because you are so much more than that. Be a follower, be faithful, and know his favor. Learn how to worship with all that you have and serve those around you with all that you have. But seek first the kingdom. Let's stand. Um, when Jesus met with the disciples after the resurrection, he taught them on the kingdom of God. They were about to experience the greatest outpouring the world of God that the world had ever seen. And uh, he instructed them to wait. So had to wait. It's a really, really good discipline for us to wait. Uh, we do have to stop long enough and often enough to just wait on the Lord. So we're going to practice that a little bit right now. I want you to remember that your work stuff is still up on that shelf. And uh, we're just going to wait. Jesus said, wait for the gift my father promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. My Lord, we wait on you. We know that you're here. We know that your presence is here. We know that you're good. You've met with so many of us in worship. But there are others of us who are asking for more, which praise God that they are. And there are others of us who haven't met with you yet this morning. We pray, Lord, for you to come. Come. Give us open hearts. Come, Lord. This time at the end of the service is so that we can do business with God. Um, we allow this time at the end of every service. Yes, so that we can pray for healing. Yes, so that we can uh, respond to each other's needs. But also to give each of us as individuals the opportunity to respond to what God is doing in our hearts. Not just to go out the door and uh, forget. Not just to go out the door and say, well, that was nice, wasn't it? Oh, that was terrible. This is your moment to respond to what it is that God is saying and doing in you. going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to take that stuff back down off of the shelf that you gave to Jesus. And I'm going to pray that, uh, Lord, as we do that, um, just speak to us. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. For those of us who are overwhelmed by our, uh, by the uh, overwhelmingness of our, the amount of work we have at the moment or our situation or our lack of work at the moment, would you come? For those of us who are in jobs that drive us crazy, that frustrate us, that undermine us, that infuriate us, Lord, would you come? For those of us who love what we do, who are fired up by what we do, would you come?
But Lord, would you help us to see ourselves as you see us? Would you remind us of your kingdom? God, your kingdom is so good. You are so good. And would you help us to wear that priestly calling? Would you help us to take it seriously, but to hold it lightly? Would you stir our hearts to offer up our lives to you in worship? Have your way, Lord, with us. Have your way. And would you help us to serve those around us? Fill us with all that we need to be able to do that. Some of us are running on empty. Some of us are out of resources. Would you come and fill us? We can only give out of what you have given. Otherwise, it's just fumes. Nobody likes that. Come and fill us. Fill us up again. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I just encourage you to stay in a place of um, just engaging with the Lord. But for those of you who would like someone to come and stand with you in prayer, then come forward as the band comes. Take this opportunity to come and get some prayer. Um, yeah, anything, anything that's going on, whether it's to do with your work, whether it's healing, uh, whether it's for money. Some of you don't have jobs at the moment and you're desperate for work and we would love to pray for you. Some of you are almost sense um, you want to hand your job over to the Lord. You literally want to say, I'm in, I'm in, Lord. I, I, I see this calling. I see this on my life and I'm an accountant. Or I see this on my life and I'm a journalist. I see this on my life and I, I don't know how these two things fit together. And I want to encourage you to come, respond to what the Lord is doing in you and give this to him anew. We're called to do this every day, to hand this over to him every day. But if for you this morning that's quite a significant thing to do, then come. Come and hand that over to the Lord. And, and let, it, let him set it on fire. Let him set you on fire. But I just encourage you to come. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.